Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer, ready to kick off the new year with the latest news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture from Hoosier Ag Today. On today's show, tactics that animal activists might use to threaten your livestock farm, what USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack says to farmers who are complaining about how much the Biden administration talks about electric vehicles, and a conversation with an Indiana dairy farmer who just received grant money to expand their dairy operation in Allen County by opening a new milk house and retail shop. We'll get a breakdown on the grain markets from this shortened week of trade coming up in just about five minutes or so. And the Indiana Farm Forecast with Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin is coming up shortly thereafter. Let's begin with some potentially good news for farmers and their bottom line. Inflation and interest rates remain a hot topic of conversation as farmers plan for 2024. Some good news on that front was shared at Purdue's Top Farmer Conference Friday from economist Dr. Jim Bullard the new dean of the Mitch Daniels School of Business at Purdue. I think the main story is that inflation was pretty high, uh, as we all know, but is coming down uh, precipitously, especially in the second half of 2023. And so looks pretty good for an immaculate disinflation, uh, unemployment staying low as inflation comes down. Bullard says all that probably means lower interest rates are on the way for farmers that want to borrow for equipment or other inputs. Bullard served as president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank prior to his appointment at Purdue. He also brings an insider's insight into Federal Reserve policy as a former member of the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee. You heard him use the term immaculate disinflation. He explains what that means. Many prominent economists said that in order to get inflation down, you would have to have a huge recession. And they basically had in mind what happened in the early 1980s. Interest rates went to super high levels and there was a huge recession. Unemployment hit 10.8%. That's what they had in mind for what you would have to do to get this inflation under control. None of that has happened. He says this was avoided because of aggressive action from the Fed in 2022 in increasing interest rates. The prime interest rate currently sits at 8.5%. Bullard told the crowd he would guess it would be closer to 7.5% a year from now. Wall Street has already priced in a lot of this. Uh, they like to anticipate things. So you're already seeing a lower 10-year rate and other rates across the board. Bullard and I discuss much more in the full hat interview. You can hear it in the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. In an effort to move more Indiana corn and soybeans to the livestock sector, the Indiana corn and soybean checkoffs invest in projects with organizations like the U.S. Meat Export Federation to move more U.S. red meats internationally. Recently, I joined the Indiana Soybean Alliance in Panama to learn more about those investments. Lucia Ruano, a U.S. Meat Export Federation representative in Central America, told me that myths about U.S. meat, pork in particular, are obstacles they must overcome there. They are used to overcooking this type of meat because they believe that in that way they will not have uh, any disease or maybe um, they think it's not a healthy product because it's too greasy. But um, those are the challenges that we really face. That's why education is key. And Ruano says that's the number one goal for USMEF. We communicate them how the animals are raised, what do they eat, all the quality controls that these animals have uh, before they go to a slaughter 
and before they get into the packing plant and how everything is handled during that process to get the meat to these countries. They also educate on how to properly prepare the meat. Ruano touted one project that Indiana farmers helped fund in Central America called Girls Can Grill, an event where a renowned female chef taught attendees how to best prepare pork and dispelled some of those myths. Since like they are the ones that are responsible for giving the nutrition and the food to the family, so we wanted to, to get to them and let them know that all the good things that pork meat has. According to the Indiana Soybean Alliance, poultry and livestock feed makes up 97% of soybean meal used in the U.S. In Indiana, poultry and hogs are the largest consumers of soybean meal. Now that we're in the new year, 2024 is likely to see competition between electric vehicles and ethanol-powered hybrids heat up as the ethanol industry makes a play for a share of the carbon-reducing vehicle market and the EPA moves to finalize tough new auto emission rules. In 2023, the EPA proposed rules that could force EVs to make up two-thirds of new cars sold in the U.S. by 2032. Farmers come up to me and they say, oh, will you guys stop talking about electric vehicles? No, because we want to make sure that we continue to have manufacturing in this country. And that's USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack, who says farmers should stop blaming electric vehicles and look to expand ethanol markets in aviation and other ways. It's not going to put you guys out of business. It's not. We're going to have cars that use ethanol for a long, long time. But Renewable Fuels Association head Jeff Cooper argues EVs could suppress ethanol demand and are not the solution. They, in most cases, do not deliver the, the range that was advertised, that they have problems in uh, extremely hot weather or extremely cold weather, you know, that there are are problems with finding places to charge these vehicles. So what could be the solution? Cooper says the RFA has been road testing a plug-in hybrid flex fuel vehicle that uses E85. If you are truly interested and if you are truly serious about reducing carbon emissions and doing it at the lowest cost possible for consumers and doing it in a way that doesn't compromise or sacrifice vehicle range and convenience, this is what we got to be looking at. Cooper says the test vehicle, a Ford Escape, got 440 miles out of a full tank of E85 and a full charge, nearly double that of a comparable EV. More farm news on the way and the Indiana Farm Forecast coming up. Right now, it's time to check in on the markets. It was a rough week for soybean futures to tell you all about it. Here's Andy Eubank. Thanks, Eric. And indeed, soybeans ended the week with another loss over a dime down. Corn down too. Export sales came out first thing in the morning for corn, soybeans, and wheat. All of those reports under the lowest of expectations. I checked in late in trade with Brian Basting for analysis. Brian with Advanced Trading. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Andy. These are marketing year lows for corn and soybean export sales. Now, some might argue that it's holiday related. Obviously, this is for the week ending December 28th, obviously during Christmas or that week. I would note um, last year, for example, we still sold 26.5 million bushels of beans for the same week whereas this year we only sold seven and a half, 7.5, 7.4. So you can't argue that it's necessarily all holiday related. So I would contend that Brazil remaining an exporter much longer than, than the trade expected during 2023, even during the month of December, has weighed on, on the sales for soybeans especially, 
and then corn is is backed off. We'll see leading into the reports uh, next week how how users react. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. Certainly, this has not been a, a um, impetus for a, a increase in buying interest. Speaking of Brazil and Argentina too, let's talk weather there. They do have rains continuing to be forecast. So certainly that's not a situation that is propping up U.S. futures. No, it's not. As we started 2024, Andy, we've seen a change in the weather pattern in Brazil. It had been quite wet in the south in Brazil, quite dry. It's just the opposite now. It has dried out in the south which is actually favorable for those soybean crops down there. And it has increased uh, rainfall totals in the north. Now, there is some irreversible damage. I do expect the USDA to lower their crop estimate for Brazil next week. Brian Basting from Advanced Trading. His number is 309-664-2314. Friday settlements here on the Market Review. March corn, 460 and three quarters, down a nickel and three quarters. And down a nickel and three quarters on the May contract, 473 and a quarter. July, an even nickel lower, going to 483 and three quarters. March beans, 1256 and a quarter, a loss of 11 and a quarter. May contract down 12 and a quarter at 1264 and a quarter. And up two and a half cents for March wheat, going to 616. Meat markets mixed. February live cattle, 170, 57, 55 cents lower. February lean hogs up 95 cents, $70 even at settlement time. You're up to date on the markets. Much more still to come. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. From seed, grain, and feed companies to crop protection, farm implements, and technology, agribusiness is all around us here in Indiana. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. At ACI, our sole focus is on the needs of our members. We advocate, educate, inform, and we invite you to join us in our mission. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to become a member. That's inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. Got a messy weekend and potentially a messier week upcoming. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. Here's what's going on as we take a look at the Hoosier State over the next 7 to 10 days. The pattern definitely getting more active. And we said at the start, a messy period coming up. Now, it's not necessarily what you think. You know, all of the social media meteorologists and everybody and their brother that thinks they know what's going on in weather have been talking about massive snowstorms over the course of the past week. Here's the thing. We don't just have some snow trying to come in. We've got lots of moisture. We've got rain as well. So when I say it can be messy, uh, look, we're going to have a muddy mess here at some point because our ground is still not frozen. Anything more than maybe a crust here or a crust there. We've been so mild this winter so far that the moisture that we have coming over the next 10 days is going to make things a sloppy mess for sure. Let's start with the first thing here. As we move through your Saturday, we do have a minor disturbance trying to move across the Hoosier State. It's cold enough that we're seeing sloppy, wet snowflake activity, at least in parts of the state. I think through the rest of the day today, you're going to be looking at a coating to an inch, maybe two in spots, but probably a coating to an inch 
of wet snow. Southern Indiana, more rain than anything else. Rain will mix in anywhere at times. Just kind of a sloppy mess, a wintry mix, if you want to call it. I don't think it causes problems long term. I do think that the clouds stick as we move through the overnight tonight and through tomorrow, and I won't rule out an additional round of flurries here and there through tomorrow either. We're definitely not seeing a whole lot of sunshine for the weekend. For your Monday, here's where we have our pause as we gear up for our next weather system. Temperatures are going to moderate just a little bit, particularly Monday afternoon. I don't think we see much sunshine, a lot of clouds. Next weather system kicks out of the central and southern plains from Sunday through Monday, and moisture shows up here probably Monday overnight, and then continues through Tuesday. It's going to be a very close call with regard to how warm air pushes in and where the track of the low is, but the latest look that I have, I still feel that we're looking at predominantly rain as we move through the first couple of segments of this storm, and we're looking at a changeover from rain to snow as we move from Tuesday night into Wednesday. Still a possibility for accumulation. I think we can see a coating to several inches, two, three, four, inches that come through that Tuesday night, Wednesday time frame, but this is going to be a rain event to start. Behind this, we take a pause Wednesday night into Thursday, have a chance for snow coming back Thursday night, Friday with a clipper system, then another pause or two, and Sunday night into Monday of next week. We've got another big system headed our way with, again, chance of rain and snow. So sloppy's the word here in the forecast. I'm Ryan Martin. Farmers, the Fort Wayne Farm Show celebrates 34 great years at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum, January 17th, 18th, and 19th. This huge three-day event features the area's largest variety of farm equipment and services, educational seminars presented daily. Register to win the grand prize, a Toro My Ride Zero Turn Lawnmower, courtesy of Plevna Implement. Admission is free. Make plans to attend the Fort Wayne Farm Show Tuesday through Thursday, January 16th, 17th, and 18th at the Memorial Coliseum. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, California's Proposition 12 just took effect on Monday, January 1st. That new law bans the sale of pork in California from the offspring of sows kept in pens that do not meet its prescribed dimensions of 24 square feet per sow, even if the hogs were raised outside of the state. Many pork producers say that California's law was already having a negative impact on the pork industry even before it took effect. What we see with California now that it's been enacted is higher meat prices in California. And that's Scott Hayes, the president of the National Pork Producers Council. He says the new law has not only raised the price of pork in California, but it's also created a shortage of pork supplies there. Prices in August were up as much as 27% in California on the cuts that are affected by Prop 12, while the rest of the country's seen about a 2% decrease in price. And there's also a little bit of issue with availability of product. He says the Proposition 12 is not what it was marketed to be. They tout it as a higher standard for animal welfare. It is not. It is just simply a different standard that causes farmers to have to change the way they raise pigs, make a sizable capital investment to make that change, which is not better necessarily for the pigs. Farmers, the veterinarians, they know how to take care of pigs, not the activists in California. Since the U.S. Supreme Court's decision last May to uphold California's Proposition 12, those within the pork industry have been pushing lawmakers in D.C. to pass a bill to override Prop 12 
and prevent a state like California from dictating how industries in other states must be regulated. Keep in mind the Supreme Court agreed that this is a problem and it's a real problem. They just didn't think it was their problem. So we still have hope that we can get Congress to see this as a real problem and get it fixed. As far as a watch out for other industries, I think certainly this opens up the door for about anything. Any state says we don't like the way another state's doing something, they have the right to regulate it now. And California's Prop 12 became law because of the giant push from animal rights activists. Eric Pfeiffer reports now how many of those activists may be planning to cause trouble for livestock farms and the animal ag industry. Abby Cornegie, manager of issues and engagement for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, explains some of the tactics to watch out for here in the new year, including a push from the activist group Direct Action Everywhere and their Right to Rescue campaign. They actually held trainings across the country as part of their campaign earlier this year, having like a roadshow that goes across and does trainings. But we'll continue to see, I think, that legislation. They're really pushing members of the animal rights movement to make friends with their legislators to become subject matter experts in their minds so they can become that go-to person to push forward legislation that is maybe not friendly to animal agriculture. Attacks and misinformation continue on social media platforms. Definitely. But we also don't want that to discourage you from posting that positive, proactive information that we all love. There's always going to be those people. But really, I think the bigger picture is the cybersecurity aspect of it. We've seen a lot of attacks on that cybersecurity front. So if you do have an online presence, make sure it's safe and secured. They can't hack into your account. We had an instance earlier this year of a pork farm in Canada where they actually took ransom their security footage and wanted them to come out and claim that there were animal welfare allegations on the farm. Cybersecurity is a growing threat in animal rights. So we just want to make everyone aware. Cornegie explains what to do when faced with trouble from animal activism. Definitely stay strong in who you are. Don't give in to these groups. We say always it's really best to not engage. So if you can kind of hold out from the engagement, that's best. We don't have the same common ground as these folks. They don't want the same thing as us. We just don't want to even begin those negotiations. Definitely reach out to your local association, your co-op, reach out to us at Animal Ag Alliance. You can report security threats. We can help spread that message so we can help protect others in your community. For more information, Cornegie encourages you to visit animalagalliance.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. Well, even though the new year is just getting underway, it may not be too soon to start thinking about taxes for your farm and the possibility that you may be leaving money on the table. Sabrina Halverson has more. Director of Government and Public Affairs with the Ag Business Advisory Company, Pinion, Brian Keel says ag businesses should consider the research and development tax credit. A lot of farmers and a lot of food processors and ethanol producers rely on the research and development tax credit. Uh, so this is a tax credit in the Internal Revenue Code that farmers and food processors can access if they're taking innovative steps. And most people don't connect these dots. You know, most farmers live innovation. They're, they're trying new seed mixes or they're trying new tillage uh, approaches. They're always changing up their operations to try to improve yield and try to increase profitability. Reports show many small businesses fail to even apply for the credit. In fact, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce says less than three out of ten businesses that would qualify apply at all, and the majority of those are large companies. Keel says while it's an important tax credit to remember, it's not perfect. 
Congress, unfortunately, in 2017, made some changes that really hurt companies that rely on R&D. They repealed immediate expensing under Section 174 of the tax code. That's something we at Pinion have been working to try to reinstate uh, so that farmers who rely on research and development can deduct those expenses in the year in which they're occurred as opposed to having to expense them over four or five years. The IRS has more information about the R&D credit on its website. You can find a link on ours at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you, Sabrina. Well, coming up in just a few weeks, the American Farm Bureau Federation is hosting its annual convention. And this year, the main focus will be on the next farm bill. Well, it's critical that Congress pass a bipartisan farm bill early this year. And that's Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Even though the farm bill that was set to expire last September 30th has been extended to this September 30th, He says that Congress can't keep kicking that same can down the road. We can't afford any further delays in getting an updated farm bill that would address our modern challenges facing our farmers and ranchers across America. Farm bill matters well beyond the farm. It addresses food security, sustainability to nutrition programs, and all of these programs benefit the nation as a whole. American Farm Bureau is hosting its annual convention in Salt Lake City January 19th through the 24th. And that's where other policy priorities for 2024 will be established. We will continue to work with Congress to address the labor challenges facing our farmers. We have a labor shortage and unsustainable wage rate hikes that really are the biggest limiting factor to the growth of American agriculture. We also need to create new and expand the current trade agreements. And we have resolved to keep defending farms and ranches from the burdensome overreach of regulations from federal government. To learn more and to register for the American Farm Bureau Convention, visit their website at fb.org. You can also find that link and much more information at our website, hoosieragtoday.com, and on the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app, a free download for iPhone and Android. Coming up, you'll hear from Indiana dairy producer Andrew Keenert, co-owner of Keenert Dairy in Fort Wayne, as he talks about the big plans for his family's dairy farm here in 2024. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. Staying informed on the markets, the weather, and world events has always been important to those of us in agriculture. Today, staying informed is critical, but now it's easier than ever. The Hoosier Ag Today mobile app puts up-to-the-minute information in the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. Download the free Hoosier Ag Today app for your mobile device at the Apple Store, Google Play, or at HoosierAgToday.com. Thank you again for joining us this weekend here on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. Well, some big news out of Fort Wayne as Keenert Dairy plans to open a brand new milk house and retail shop on their farm coming up here in just a few weeks. They've also received a $100,000 grant from the Dairy Business Innovation Alliance to grow their farm operation. Joining us here today on Hoosier Ag Today is Andrew Keenert, the co-owner of Keenert Dairy. And Andrew, tell us all about this $100,000 grant and how you plan to grow the business here in 2024. 
Hey, thanks for having me on here, CJ. So, no, it's very exciting that we were awarded the grant uh, money um, for our Keener Milk House. With that grant, it's going to allow us to purchase the equipment that we need to make um, farm fresh cheese curds right in our milk plant. And then it's also is going to help with some packages of that. So our cheese curds are going to come in um, pouches that are resealable. So I, I'm, I'm very confident that our flavor and our quality of product can be second to none. So we're excited to get the cheese operation up and running here in Keener Milk House. How did the idea to begin manufacturing cheese curds begin? Doing on-farm processing has always been a lifelong goal of, of I'd say, of my father and uh, me and my brother and uh, my sister-in-law and wife. And so it's been a long time coming. So our family's been dairying for over over 127 years here now. Like I said, their sixth generation is around. So we wanted to build something that would be generational, something that our kids would be very proud to take over someday. Dairy farming's been in our blood forever, and we've always had this goal and passion to be able to on-farm process our own milk right in the products here. So uh, it's pretty neat how a pipeline is directly run from our cow barn. So the cows give the milk, and uh, directly the the milk is run over to our processing facility where we're going to transform that milk into uh, flavored milks and, and glass bottles and farm fresh cheese curds and butter and ice cream as well. So we're very excited to have our new milk house up and operational here. My guest is Andrew Keenert, one of the co-owners of Keener Dairy in Fort Wayne. And Andrew, I also understand that you've built a retail shop on your farm called Keenert Milk House, and that will be opening here soon to sell all the products produced on your farm. And how soon will that milk house be open to the public? So we are getting very close. We are hopefully going to be up and operational towards the end of January, early February, hopefully having a full line of milk products coming out. So um, the glass bottled milk and cheese curds and the butter and the ice cream. So hopefully the cheese curds are up and ready to go. If you come up to our, uh, our our retail store right on farm, you can see a big picture window where we're going to have our cheese out on the other side. So you will be able to see firsthand how the cheese curds are being made. So it's going to be a very exciting process. Hopefully have everything ready to go here for the end of January, early February. And the Milk House, a very exciting venture for you and your family. It sure is. So for the past 11 years, we've been doing a fall festival on our dairy farm for seven weekends. And that's been a great opportunity for agritourism and and to kind of showcase and show people what we do to where we feel like we've really built respect and trust with our local community. So we really feel like this milk house is going to be that next step forward for our family and our farm. We, We know we can get quality product. We know we can make great tasting products and have those to offer right here in our own farm retail store. Andrew, what's the website for Keener Dairy to get some more information about the opening of the new milk house and and all of the other great things that uh, you and your family produce on your farm? Sure. So you can go to KeenerDairy.com to find uh, the go to our website. Otherwise, you can look us up on uh, Facebook at Keener Dairy and then Instagram as well. And we, um, yeah, we do other social platforms like TikTok as well. So if you go to Keener, look up Keener Dairy and you can find us there for the newest updates. Your dad, Al, passed away here not too long ago unexpectedly, and I know that's been difficult certainly for your mom and for you and your brother Nathan, but I'm sure that looking down from heaven, your dad has to be absolutely proud of what you and your family have done in his name and in the family name to grow the business, especially with all the great things that you have planned here for 2024. Most definitely. Thank you. Yes, um, life definitely brings you a lot of challenges. It's one of those things you you never know in life, and we've kind of learned to live each and every day like it could be your last. 
you know, with losing my dad unexpectedly, it was, it was challenging. And we had to, we kind of had to figure out a new norm for our dairy farm and what we were doing. Um, with, with losing my dad, that kind of put us on delay with this milk plant. And that was, that was, I think it'll make him very proud that we get up and around it. So we know he's always up watching over us and taking care of us. So, so we know we're trying to live on his legacy. Absolutely. Well, once again, Andrew Keenert, co-owner of Keenert Dairy in Fort Wayne. Their website is keenertdairy.com. You can also find that link at our website at hoosieragtoday.com. And once again, Andrew, best of luck to you and your family. Best of luck with the brand new Keenert Milk House. And once again, thank you so much for joining us here today on Hoosier Ag Today. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you very much. I, I truly appreciate it, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Check out the podcast version of today's show at HoosierAgToday.com. Also download the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, Sabrina Halverson, and our chief meteorologist, Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Radio Network.